The following is a presentation of Remnant. Hi, this is Jerry from Remnant. Let's be honest, this life can be hectic, draining, and downright confusing. My hope is that by listening to this message, your life can be impacted by God's great love for you. And His love will give you wisdom, courage, and strength. Thanks for listening. You're listening to a message from Pastor Jerry Godsey. morning. The title of today's message is Family Second. And, and that, kind, like Jeremiah said earlier, that kind of goes against everything that we've been taught. You know, everybody says, oh, family's the most important thing. Well, I'm going to make a case for you today that family's not. And I'll explain to you why. Here's all the social media stuff for today. At Remnant Church, at Jerry Gatsi, hashtag Imperfect Family Series, hashtag Family second, we encourage you to use your social media throughout the message. And uh, let's get going. Let's pray. Father, thanks. Got to pray that you'll open our hearts today to hear what you have to say, because I believe, Father, this is important for us, God. So I, I pray that for the next few moments, God, that my, my words would be your words, that my heart would be your heart. Thanks, Father. Bless us now. We ask it in your name. Amen. There's a guy named Zig Ziglar who is an author and a speaker. And if you've never heard or read anything by Zig Ziglar, I encourage you to do it. Um, <clears throat> his book on marriage is amazing. Uh, Romance Can Last a Lifetime. Uh, really incredible. That's the, that's the subtitle of it. But anyway, look up Zig Ziglar, and it's an incredible book. But he loves golf. And he took his son with him to the golf course. His son was still new to the game. So Zig was pretty impressed by his son's performance on one of the par four holes. At the tee, the the boy lifted the ball straight and true down the fairway. A second shot got him onto the green. Okay, this is a par four. Um, I'm usually on my third shot to get onto the green on a par four because I have a tendency to not hit the ball where it's supposed to go. It kind of goes wherever it wants. Um, He's on the green within 14 feet, wanting his son to succeed. He helped him line up the the lie of the putt and how it was going to curve and stuff. His son stepped up the ball, and he drained the putt for a birdie. It's pretty good. So Zig gets up there. He's also on the green in two, and he's got a much easier putt. And for a second, Zig Ziglar thinks, well, maybe I should blow it to give the kid, you know, kind of a, a win. But that goes against everything that Zig had ever taught him about how to always do your best. And if he missed a little putt, the kid would know dad tanked it. So he sank it. As they're walking away to the next tee, Zig looks at his son, and he casually asks him, well, son, were you rooting for me on that last putt? And his son looked at him and said, I always root for you, dad. I like that idea, that there is a commitment that in our families, we're going to uphold each other. We're going to lift each other up. We're going to do what we can for each other. And I think in the best families, you find that. You find a commitment to God. You find a commitment to each other. The problem is that sometimes we get the commitments backwards, and we put our families before we put God. And that's why I call this family second, because God should be number one. 
Now, I'm not talking about church. When I was, when I was going for my credentials to the Assemblies of God, one of the things they asked me was, what's the correct order between family and God and church? And the correct answer is God, family, and church. The church comes after my family. And I will tell you that in my almost 40 years of ministry, man, it makes me sound so old. But I am. Um, in almost 40 years of ministry, I have not always gotten that priority correct. There are times when, unfortunately, I put my family behind the church, and I, I grieve over those moments, to be honest with you, because those are times when I wasn't the family member that I should have been. God wants our families to be committed to each other, but they want us, he wants us to be committed to him first and foremost. So Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting at verse 4. It'll be on the PowerPoint for you there. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your foreheads as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. The Lord your God will soon bring you into the land he swore to give you when he made a vow to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's a land with large, prosperous cities that you did not build. The houses will be richly stocked with goods you did not produce. You will draw water from cisterns you did not dig. And you will eat from vineyards and olive trees you did not plant. When you have eaten your fill of this land, be careful not to forget the Lord. When you have eaten your fill in this land, be careful not to forget the Lord, who rescued you from slavery in the land of Egypt. You must fear the Lord your God and serve him. When you take an oath, you must use only his name. And I love that that, that part of verse... um, Verse 12, where it says, be careful not to forget the Lord. So, he's telling them two things. Number one, put God first in what you teach your children. Put God first in what you teach your kids. And secondly, put God first in how you live your life. Those are two principles that we're going to focus on today because I think these are the ones we mess up sometimes. We have a tendency to put our family before before God. We have a tendency to put all these things, and then look, it's easy. We're, we're working jobs, we're getting all of our stuff done, and, and one of the reasons I love, I love Remnant is the fact that Jeremiah and I both work jobs. Victor works jobs. We don't, we don't we're not full-time guys that, you know, sit behind, the, sit behind a, a little office, a pastor's door office, and we don't understand what it's like to get out and work. Tomorrow morning, 7 o'clock, I'll be out with my guys praying and getting the day started. It's just the way we do it. And, and, I've been, and I've been that guy in the office. I've been that pastor that sits in the office. And I will tell you that I feel more like one of you guys in my time here at Remnant than I, than I ever have before. And I, I remember something Dale Van Steen has told me years ago. He said, if you're going to be a shepherd, you're going to smell like sheep. I think he's got a good point. We've got to be out and about. We've got to be with people. As I prepared for today's sermon I started looking for all the words commit, committed, commitment. And you know what I didn't find? This was weird. Something I did not find in the Bible. The place where we're supposed to 
put our family first. The place where we're supposed to put our family head and shoulders above everything, including God. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew 10, 37, if you love your father or mother more than you love me, you're not worthy of being mine. Or if you love your son or daughter more than me, you're not worthy of being mine. And so people naturally take this and say, well, Jesus said we're not supposed to love our mother or father. That's not what it says. It says if you love them more than you love God. And we're, and we're quick to say, oh, no, I love God more than everything. Hallelujah. Really? Okay. Prove it. Where do you spend most of your time? What is the number one priority in your in your decision-making process? Is it God or is it your family? And you say, well, wait a second, I thought the church would be a good place to raise my family. It is. I thought the church would be a great place to strengthen my family. It is. I thought if I went to church, I'd have a stronger marriage. You will. But not if your commitment is first to your family. Not if the most important commitment you have is not to God. And again, I know that just totally goes against everything we think we know. Because the world doesn't tell us that, does it? Well, first of all, the world tells you that you're your own God. And I've got to be honest with you, if I'm God, I'm in trouble. Okay? If, if, I, am the, if I am the be-all and end-all of my life or anybody else's life, <laughs> we're all in trouble. I like knowing that there is a God who's the creator of the universe, who's in charge. Because if Jerry Godsey is in charge, in charge, we're... I've seen the things I do. And they're, they're not good. Proverbs 16.3 gives us a promise. Commit your actions to the Lord and your plans will succeed. We wonder sometimes why our life gets rocky. Maybe it's because we didn't commit our plans to the Lord. Maybe it's because we launched out on our own and decided that we're going to do something and we didn't bother to consult God about it at all. We didn't bother to ask him. God knows that who I'm committed to will determine who sets the rules. One more time. Whoever I'm committed to, that's who sets the rules. Husbands, you're committed to your wife. Your wife sets the rules. All the women said amen. All the husbands said, oh my. Oh my. And some of you guys inside, you're saying, oh, I'm the, I make the rules. And, but you weren't going to say it because your wife is standing next to you. I get it. That's okay. Who you're committed to sets the rules. If we're committed to God, that's who sets the rules in our lives. Here's the problem. If my family is first, if they're not happy, then I won't obey God. I've seen families where their kids could do no wrong. Lynette and I happened to be behind somebody this morning, and we mentioned somebody like that. The kid could do no wrong. When he, we both taught Christian school in Imperial, and this kid, nothing he ever did was wrong. Everything he ever did was perfect. That's what his parents thought. We, on the other hand, saw him every day, and we knew differently. 
we knew that, not perfect, not even approaching it. I used, to start the, I used to start the school year when, I, you know, you have that first meeting with the parents and stuff. I would tell the parents, if you don't be, I, here's a promise. If you don't believe everything your kid says about me, I won't believe everything they say about you. And some of the parents are like, that's fair, that's fair. Not all of them, but some of them. I heard the story about a little kid that misbehaved in Sunday school one Sunday, and they got on to him, told him, don't do that anymore. He had done something minor. I think he strangled another kid with a belt or something. It was minor, just little things, you know, not huge. And he didn't kill him. He just, no. He did something, though, and he got in trouble. And he went back to his parents, I don't want to go back. The teacher was mean, I don't want to go back. You know what? They left the church. Who's running the house? I'm not saying if your kids are unhappy every Sunday that you... Maybe you should look at at least talking to the kids' church people. But if your kid is in charge, if you're in a church where you, you feel like God has given you a place to minister and a place where you can do things and learn, then the fact that little Johnny's upset on Sunday morning, maybe Johnny can go over it. Maybe Johnny can learn a life lesson that things aren't always going to go his way. Always be amazed, always amazed me at parents. Lynette used to work with a lady who would, would say, I went to the teacher and I, I, got her mo- I got my daughter moved out of that teacher's classroom. Why? Well, because she was always picking on her. Always, you know, yelling at her because she didn't do her work and stuff. She was always picking on her. Um, maybe little princess needed some motivation? I'm just guessing. If I put my family first, then I'll do what I think is right rather than what God thinks is right. When I was in crime prevention for the sheriff's office, I I was working on a social host ordinance. I got promoted before I got it done. But basically I wanted a social host ordinance that said that if you had a party at your house with teenagers and you allowed alcohol to be served, you were on the hook for whatever happened to those teenagers as a result. Then later I was, I was promoted and I became the crime scene unit supervisor and I would have to go to these parties on Friday and Saturday night and see teenagers just molared, just drunk out of their brain. And half the time their parents were drunk too and would come rolling up. The only reason we came, that I, they called me out was because somebody had gotten hurt. If it's just a party, they would send deputies, they'd break it up. But if somebody got hurt, I had to go photograph it because it was a criminal act at that point. And I can't tell you how many times I would hear the parents telling the deputies, well, I figured it would be better for them to drink in my house than be on the road some, drinking somewhere else. Okay, these are 16 and 17-year-old kids. Maybe they shouldn't be drinking. Now, once they're old enough, then, then they, you can talk about alcohol. You can do whatever you want. But, but maybe if you're the parent of a 15, 16-year-old kid and he wants to have a party with alcohol... Maybe you need to talk to your kid. I used to tell my youth groups all the time, if you can't, have, you can't have a good time without alcohol, you don't know how to have a good time. To these people that made sense that they would rather have their kids indulge in sin in their house than somewhere else. 
And I've heard it used for all kinds of things. I've heard of teenagers or parents of teenagers who let their daughters or, or, or sons have their boyfriend or girlfriend spend the night at their house. And they're not playing Parcheesi all night. They're doing stuff. If I have to explain stuff to you, then that's a whole other matter. And they, well, it's better for, me to, for them to do it here. No, it's not better for them. It's better for them not to do it. It's better for the parent to say, this is not something I agree with. Don't do it. I don't know how many times we've told our kids, you live in our house, you live in our rules. But see, if you put your family first, then you're going to do what you think is right, not necessarily what God thinks is right. Look at 1 Peter 3, 7. In the same way you husbands must, honor your wa- must give honor to your wives, treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are. Bible's words, not mine. She may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should, so your prayers will not be hindered. Jillian, you ever stop to think that if you're honorary to your wife, maybe God isn't hearing your prayers? It's important for us men to treat our wives correctly. It's important for us to understand that they are God's gift to us. Ephesians 5.33 says, So again I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Wives are commanded to respect their husbands, not belittle them. One of the things I hate about some of the television shows now is all these television shows that have like the, the husband who is too dumb to put on his socks. You notice that? The wife is always the smart one and the, and the husband's always the dumb one. Now, I mean, granted, that may be true, but I don't think it needs to be modeled like that all the time. You know, and, and it, so they're just constantly demeaning the husband. They're constantly demeaning the man. And there's really no reason for that. Our job is to lift each other up. Our job is to make each other feel better. And kids, you don't escape it. Ephesians 6, 1. Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. Soren loved this when I said it the other day. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you and you'll have a long life on the earth because your parents won't kill you. I added that last part. That's not in the Bible. I added that last part. My friend, when I was a kid growing up in, at Faith Tabernacle in West L.A., they were gonna, Denzel Alvey was going to take little Denzel. Okay, his dad named him Denzel, and he can't help that. My name is Jerry Wayne. I don't like that. I don't mind Jerry. I don't really mind Wayne. I don't like Jerry Wayne together. It just has a real Oklahoma twang to it, which is where all my family came from. Jerry Wayne, okay. So Denzel, who, who had to go his entire life, I'm sure, without ever getting anything personalized. <laughs> you know, like, it's not like you're going to go into you know, Kmart or Walmart. Hey, there's a, uh, a, a keychain that says Denzel on it. No, it's not. It's not going to say that. So he named his kid Denzel Jr., which I think is just... I, named, I like the name Jerry Wayne so much, I didn't name either one of my sons Jerry Wayne. He grabs Denzel. He's going to take him out. Little Denzel. He's going to take him outside. He's going to spank him because he's been bad in church. 
And little Denzel grabs the back pew of the church, and he's got a death grip on his. His dad's got him by his feet, and he's screaming at the top of his lungs, Y'all pray for me! My dad's going to kill me! And, and I think he might have. I never saw him again after that. No, I'm just kidding. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you, and you'll have a long life on the earth. Bill Cosby told his kids one time, look, don't mess with me. I brought you into this world, I'll take you out. I'll make another one look just like you. I'm not scared. But God's telling our kids, if we want to survive in this world, we need to learn to honor our parents. Ephesians 6.4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Here's the thing. If I'm totally committed to God, then I'm going to treat my wife the way God wants to treat me, wants me to treat her. If I'm totally committed to God, then I'm going to instruct and raise my children the way God wants me to instruct and raise them. But if I think what they think is more important than what God says, I may waffle a little bit. I may worry about being popular. I may worry about doing what they want rather than what God wants. And it's not always the same thing. Here's the bottom line. God holds us accountable for how we treat our spouse or discipline our kids. They're his, not ours. I've been married to Lynette for 36 years come September or 37? 37 in September. Okay? And I'm married to her, but she belongs to God. She belongs to God. My kids were not mine. They're God's. Which is cool because there were times when they were really like acting up or something. I would say, I would tell God, God, you got to do something about your kids. <laughs> it's, like, it's like the difference between being a landlord and owning the house. You own the house, the water heater breaks, you've got to go pay to fix the water heater. If you're, if you're a renter, you call the landlord and said, hey, the water heater broke, come fix it. I have turned my sons over to God. I've turned my wife over to God. I want God to be in their life. But God's given us some promises. Psalm 37, verse 5 and 6. Commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust him and he will help you. He will make your innocence radiate like the dawn and the justice of your cause will shine like the noonday sun. I like that. Commit everything you do to the Lord. Everything. That's your job. That's the way you raise your kids. That's your relationship with your wife, with your husband. That's your relationship with your family. That's everything. Commit everything to the Lord. Trust him and he will help you. The problem is that we don't always trust. The problem is that we think that somehow if we hold on to something that it's better with our control than God have 100% control. It's better if we can hold on to a little bit of it. Really? Really? You think that God is going to do worse than you've done? Yeah, I don't think so. I don't think it works that way. If you put God first, God will put you first. Now, there are people who think, well, well, God helps those who help themselves. 
Mm. That's a nice bumper sticker for a car if you don't believe in God, but it's not true. It's not biblical. God has never said that, and he's never endorsed it. God helps those who help themselves. No, God helps those who honor him and put him first in their lives. There is a difference. Psalm 37. We just read it. Commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust him and he will help you. He'll make your innocence radiate like the dawn and the justice of your cause will shine like the new day sun. Look, Everybody, whether you're a Christian or not, you want what's best for your family. I get that. We all do. We all want what's best. We want what's best for our family. And by instinct, sometimes we'll do the right thing. That's not the same thing as giving God complete control. Two days in a row this week, Lynette told me that I had a good idea. Two days in a row. I wrote it down in my phone. Two days in a row. Because that doesn't, ha- doesn't happen very often. I tell people all the time, even a broken clock's right twice a day. You get that? If your clock is broken at 12.05, it's going to be right twice. Some of you are a little slow in the uptake. Christians, non-Christians alike, we want to try to make sure our family's well provided for. We say, if it's within my power, if it's within my power, I want my children to have the best education. If it's within my power, I want them to have the best health care they can have. If it's within my power, I want them to have the best opportunities for a job when they graduate. If it's within my power, I want them to marry well. If it's within my power, I want them to raise my, ch- my grandchildren in a way that we can be proud of. If it's within our power, we'll give them all the financial help we can give them. The problem is, that says if it's within our power. How much power do you have? Not much. Nobody here is president or vice president or congressman. I mean, if you are, I'd like to talk to you about some things. If it's within our power, A lot of families do everything they can within their power, and they don't realize that they're falling short. The reason you're falling short is because you haven't used all your opportunities. The story of a little boy trying to lift a heavy rock, but he couldn't budge it. His father's watching him. Finally, he said, have you done everything? Are you using all your strength? Have you done everything you can? The boy said, I'm trying. I've done everything I can. The dad said, no, you didn't. Yes, I did, dad. I I tried to roll it. I tried to pick it up with a stick. I tried all these things. The dad says, no, no, you don't understand. You didn't try everything. You didn't ask me to help you. Quit trying to do things under your power. Start trying to do things with God's power. You got a situation at home Quit trying to fix it yourself and start asking God to help you fix it. All these years we've been married, I still can't get Lynette to like football. I've tried everything. It doesn't work. It's just, she's just not interested. 
And I thought about praying that God would maybe, but I decided, no, that's probably not a good idea. But let's say you've got a serious issue in your marriage. You've got a serious issue with one of your kids. And you've tried everything. You try and buy them gifts to make them feel better. You try this, you try this, you try this, you try this. But you have yet to ask God about how to fix it. You may be making things worse. Quit trying to do things under your power and start trying to do them with God's power. Husbands, when's the last time you prayed that God would make you a better husband? Wives, when's the last time you asked God to make you a better wife? Or a better parent? Teenagers, when's the last time you asked God to make you a better teenager? To make you a better son or daughter? All the parents said amen. See, we're so busy trying to do things ourselves, we're just not getting through. We're not getting through to God. Deuteronomy 6, 4, 9. Go back to it. Listen to Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. I like that. If you got your Bible, underline that. You must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands. Wholeheartedly means no reservations whatsoever. I'm not holding anything back. I'm giving everything to God. And you know what? That's uncomfortable. Because let's be honest, we don't want to give everything to God because there are things we like to hold on to. There's that pet sin that we enjoy that we don't want to give up. There's that place where we don't want to quit talking to that person that way because we think they deserve it. No. You've got to give yourself wholeheartedly to God. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home, when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house. Your home should be inundated with God's word. When something good happens, you shouldn't say, hey, we were really lucky. No. I hate to hear Christians say that. I was really lucky. No, you weren't. You were blessed by God. And you better give God that due. If I was God, and it's a good thing I'm not, the first time you said you were lucky, you'd quit being lucky. I would send you all kinds of bad things. I'd give you boils. I'd give you a flat tire every time you get in the car. Again, I'm not God. It's a good thing I'm not, because I would do that. I would just mess with people. I had that kind of power. You know, you know what you would do? You had that kind of power. I would mess with people. You don't like it? Guess what's coming next? Not good. Teach your kids to ask God for help. Have you done everything you can? No, you haven't. You haven't asked me for help. Do your kids know that when they're in their time of need, God's the one they go to? Yes, come talk to Dad. What's Dad going to do? He's going to take you to God. Talk to Mom. What's Mom going to do? She's going to take you to God. My kids were little and they got hurt. They went to Lynette. Because she would get out, you know, like the back teen and the band-aids. Not me. I was like, 
Cool. You'll be all right. Chicks dig scars. Dad, I'm bleeding. Yeah, well, it'll, it'll quit eventually. Just put it in your mouth. If we make it a constant part of our lives to remember what God has done for us in the past, we'll be more inclined to remember to look for God in the future. I've said it so many times in this church. The idea of faith as professed in the Old Testament, as professed in the Bible, is not this idea. We get this idea that faith is somehow stepping off the cliff and hoping that God would catch us. That's not what faith is. Faith is looking back over all the goodness of God, over all the blessings of God in our lives and saying, if he was there yesterday, he's here now. And with God's help and grace, he'll be there tomorrow as well. Because God doesn't change. God isn't fickle like we are. Your kid comes to you with a problem. Tell them, you know what? Let's see what God has done in our past. Let's look at the times that God has helped us in the past and know that we can put our faith in him that he's going to help us now. We're not lucky. We're blessed. Things don't happen to us just because we're good. It happened to us because God is good. The more you teach them to look for God in their lives, the more they'll look for God in their lives. Your kids should walk out of your home knowing that God is going to be there for them. How do they know that God's going to be there for them? Because they watched you. They learned it from you. Now, at some point, they're going to make their own choices. They're going to decide whether to follow God or not. Can't do anything about that. We should deliberately pursue teaching our family about God's power in our lives. Years ago in Reader's Digest, a young woman told of how her dad used to teach God's providence to his kids. She said she remembered this story from her youth. Her dad said, it seems like some of our neighbors expect to be sharecropping forever. Now, if you're sharecropping, you're basically working somebody else's land and they're getting half of your work. Sometimes more than half. He said, but it doesn't have to be that way, does it? Look at that boy Joseph there in the Bible. She said that her dad then wove a wondrous story about a young man thrown into a dark and slimy pit who rose up. He said, Joseph didn't stay in that hole. Joseph expected to be a leader, not a forgotten young man at the bottom of the pit. And you know what happened to him? One day, one day, God pulled him out of that pit and made him the second most powerful man in Egypt. We did a whole series here about the Old Testament heroes of the Bible, and if you're not familiar with some of the Old Testament heroes in the Bible, go back and look it up. Remember the name of that series, Jeremiah? Heroes, yeah. Yeah, it was heroes. Thank you, Jeremiah. You're not Jeremiah. We did a whole series on those, because, man, there's so many good stories. Teach those to your kids. Why do they need to know the story of Joseph? Because everything didn't go Joseph's way. In fact, Joseph got a raw deal a lot of the times. But he stayed faithful. He stayed faithful. And what happened? He became one of the head guys in Israel. And I love it when his brothers have to come to him and ask him for food and they don't know who he is. 
I call it the Genesis 50-20 principle. They sold him into slavery. They sold him to like a band of gypsies coming by or something, you know, and all these things that happened to him. And here he is second in, second in command in Egypt. And he's messing with them because they don't recognize him. Finally, he says, hey, by the way, guys, I'm your brother Joseph. And one of his brothers says, oh, great, now you're going to kill us. In Genesis 50-20, he says, no, you meant it for evil, but God used it for my good. I can't tell you how many times that principle has proven itself in my life. Somebody would mean something for evil, and I stayed faithful, and I prayed, and I, I tried my best not to do the wrong thing, and I watched as God did something great where he delivered me. The Genesis 50-20 principle. You meant it for evil, but God used it for my good. A lesson was so powerful to that young woman that she remembered it when she became an adult. The Bible continually tells us we need to teach our children or grandchildren with a missionary zeal. We need to teach our kids not just, hey, you know, we go to church because we need to. You tell your kids that? Come on, we have to go to church. You have to go to church? You get to go to church. You get to. We get to go worship. We get to go sit with people who are just like us, who struggle just like us. We get to listen to some fat, bald guy speak for a while. Or some guy who's not fat and has hair. Just depends who's up that Sunday. We get a chance to go and we get a chance to listen to God's word that somebody has prepared for us. We get a chance to go. We get to, to stand with people and we get to enter the throne room of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We get to go to a God who is the creator of the universe, but he loves me so much that the hairs of my head are numbered. We get to go to God. We don't have to go to church. We get to go to church. You got to read your Bible. No, you get to read your Bible. You get to open a, a document that is all those years old and yet still is lives every time you open it up. If you don't tell your kids that the Word of God is living and you don't model it in front of them by showing them, show them what God's showing you. Hey, man, I was reading this verse today and check this out. It was so cool. I'm not saying you have to call them in and preach to them. Yea, verily, the Lord saith unto thee. Eh, it doesn't have to be that way. Share it. Your kids come home from school and they've got a problem with a kid. It's all right, let's pray. What good's that going to do, God? Your dad, you know what? It's going to do more than if I go and help you. It should be an all-consuming passion to get our family to know that God is good, that God cares, and God acts in our lives. That should be our all-consuming passion. Nothing should be more important to you than showing, the, showing your kids that, showing your spouse that, showing the people that live in your neighborhood that. How are you going to show it? Because you're going to live it. God is number one. And because God is number one, God cares about us. We know that God is good. I heard the quote from, 
from the Chronicles of Narnia today where Lucy is talking to Mr. and Mrs. Beaver about Aslan the lion. And Aslan the lion, he's fierce and he's, he's big. He's the king of the beasts. And Mr. and Mrs. Beaver are telling, him how, telling Lucy how scary Aslan the lion is because he's fierce. She said, so he's not, he's not safe? Mrs. Beaver says, well, of course he's not safe. He's the king of beasts. But he's the king and he's good. See, we face the king of kings and the lord of lords. Is he safe? No. No. You think God is safe? The God that risked his own son, that sacrificed his own son for your sins, do you think he's safe? You think the following God is always going to be a cakewalk in the park? No. Fallen God is never safe, but he is always good. He always loves us. He always cares about us. And he always has our best interests at heart. I love this story. A stuntman pulled a tightrope across Niagara Falls. Now, you've got to be nuts. To, first of all, you've got to be nuts going on a tightrope because you fall and there's ground there. It's not the fall that hurts. It's that really sudden stop when you hit the ground. That's what hurts. Falling, it doesn't really hurt. So he put a tightrope across the Niagara Falls, and then he walked on it, and everybody said, oh, that's great. So he came back again, and he said, okay, this time I'm going to run. Well, that's smart. And he ran across Niagara Falls, this big tightrope. And if you fall, you're dead. I mean, that's, that's all there is to it. You're going to die. Then he says, I'm going to take a wheelbarrow across. And all these people are watching. And he takes a wheelbarrow across. And everybody's cheering for him. Yeah, you're stupid, but yay. Then he said, before I take the wheelbarrow back once more, I'm going to ask for a volunteer. Who's going to ride in the wheelbarrow? And a little girl raised her hand. A little girl. Sat in the, in the bucket of the wheelbarrow. That's a true story. Wheeled her across. And he made his way back and forth across the falls of the young girl in the wheelbarrow. Somebody in the crowd asked, how could she be so trusting of this man? The person looked at him and said, didn't you know? That's her father. She trusts her father. Are you willing to get in God's wheelbarrow? Is he safe? No! But he's good, and he's the king. Is following God always safe? No. In fact, following God ought to scare you a little bit. Ought to scare you a little bit, at least. Actually, ought to scare you a lot. Where'd we get this idea that somehow we're just going to always walk through life? And no, no, no. That's not, God may walk us through the rose garden, but there's thorns in the rose garden. But God is going to be there with you. Are you willing to get into God's wheelbarrow and trust Him 
because he's your father. See, the girl believed it could be done because she believed in her father. Our families need to know that we are willing to do whatever it takes because we serve a good father. We serve a good God. God that cares. A God who wants what's best for us. Are you ready for that? Let's pray. God, thanks. Father, you're good to us. And you love us. And I am so thankful for your grace, God. I'm thankful that you're not safe. I'm thankful that you challenge me, God. Because you know I need challenging. Father, I pray for every person in this room now, that Father, that you would begin to speak to their hearts. Begin opening them up to hear from you, God. With your head's bowed and your eyes closed, I want to ask you a very simple lesson. Is God first? Or have you let other things come before him? Is God first in your life? It's easy to let so many other things crowd us out or crowd God out, but God is there waiting, wanting to be number one. He wants you to be committed to him so he can be committed to you. God has offered us everything we need. We've just got to put him first. So right now, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, in the quietness of the moment, just go to God. God, I have put you further down the list than I should have. God, I want to make you number one. I want to make you most important, God. I want my heart to to reach out to you. This week, You need to make it your all-consuming passion to show your family that God is number one. And you've got to live it. Talk is cheap, but you've got to live it. Father, I pray that you will speak to our hearts, God, that each one of us would make you number one. Because you're worthy, God. Not just because of the promises. God, if you didn't promise me anything else, I would still serve you because you've been so good to me already. Thanks, Father. Thanks, Father. God, bless us. God, keep us in your hand. Help us to follow you. To not look back, but to look ahead to what you have for us. Thanks, God. Thanks. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Stand with me. Let's sing this last song. I want to give you a challenge. And I want to warn you about something. Okay, first of all, if you decide you're going to put God first this week, you may have some things that happen, right? The devil's not going to let you go easily. All the more reason for you to put your hand to the plow, stay close to God, all right? If troubles come this week, Go to God, because he's the one who has the answers. You're not going to work it out yourself. It's going to be God. Amen? And I, I want to challenge you to just put God number one.
Everything you do this week, put God number one and see what God does. It's going to be amazing. All right? I love you guys. You've been listening to a presentation of Remnant. For more information, visit us online at remnantchurchiv.com. You've